Hello again. Uh, sorry you've got to enjoy me twice, some of you, uh, within one day. Uh, my name is Martin Lee, and um, I shared this morning. This is going to be very different this evening. Um, I'm going to try and do something maybe you're not quite used to. Um, it's not going to be quite such a biblical reflection. Um, uh, more uh, my jottings of uh, nearly 40 years now of being involved in, in mission. Uh, with mission agencies and more recently with, uh, with Global Connections. Um, uh, maybe a little bit about myself though. I come from a non-Christian background, non-Christian family. Uh, there were two Christians in my school, uh, in my school year. A man called Stephen Draper, whose daughter is now in my church, which is great. Um, and uh, a guy called Graham Klein. And um, by the end of the sixth form, there were 19 of us who come to faith. Well, hope that makes your heart go, wow, what happened? Well, we had a teacher in the school who was committed to um, sharing faith, um, and uh, he eventually became a Church of England minister, uh, but we'll forgive him for that. Uh, and um, uh, probably, I would think, heading up for 15 to 20% of the school became Christians during my time there. Um, we used to run Christian Union camps. It was a, it was a grammar school, 600 boys. Um, and we used to take 120 to 150 four times a year on camps. This guy gave up every single holiday. Can you imagine it? He's got these great big couple of double-decker buses down to uh, various places around the country. So that's my background. Um, a place where Christ was shared quite openly, quite naturally, uh, and quite um, uh, happily. Um, I think it's probably why I ended up working uh, within uh, mission. I went in to become a teacher, uh, really because I wanted to go overseas. Um, uh, ended up trying to go to Thailand, had a serious car accident. So I'm a bit of a fake, really, because they sent me back. Uh, I ended up in the UK office and helping a small agency sort of grow over about 25 years, working with refugees uh, throughout the world. So I've traveled extensively, and I've had the chance to meet so many different Christians from so many different backgrounds. I want to think a little bit about what then is mission like today. Uh, and maybe there are things that we can learn. I've got seven I hope challenges uh, for you as a church and for you as individuals that I want to just uh, pick through. I have a look at seven areas, as I said. So the first one is the worldwide church and the global shift. The second one is a renewed church, which I've entitled with a second title, Pentecostals Rule OK. Um, a growing church, or actually are we a static church? An unequal church, the poverty and power divide. A missional church from the rest to everywhere. A fragmented church where we're worried about sin by association. And a moving church with the huge number of cities and migration there is. I think there's seven challenges for us uh, in each uh, of those areas. I'm going to try and base them all around uh, scripture as well. Um, not as an excuse, but I, um, well, we are in church, so I do need to do something uh, like that. Well, so much has been written, hasn't it, about the 
shift of Christianity from the West to the non-Western world, to the global South, whatever term you want to use. And 1984, George Orwell's year, that was the big year. Um, it's when the scales were turned, and this chart from World Vision uh, illustrates uh, what happened, when suddenly there was the shift away from the Western world to the non-Western world, and the turnover point was 1984. But actually, what do we mean by statistics? They're really hard to collect about Christians. I shared a little bit this morning about A Wind in the House of Islam. If you haven't read it, do get it. I've only got 2,000 copies left. Um, uh, no, seriously, it is a fantastic, inspirational book. And David Garrison, I think he came to Belfast, but he was also speaking in several places in England. I, I brought him over, and he was fantastic. He was asked the question, these changes that are happening in the Muslim world, are they really becoming Christians? And he tracked the number of what he called people groups, of groups of a thousand people coming to inverted commas faith. His answer was this, I was sharing this this afternoon, his answer was this, he said, well, I don't know, I couldn't talk to them all, I couldn't see if they'd come to a personal, personal faith, but what I do know is that all of them publicly declared their faith and were baptized, and they were the only ones I counted. And then he put a challenge back. If you lived in the Muslim world, would you openly be baptized? Well, so I don't know who, sometimes when people carry statistics, you know, is it lies, damn lies and statistics, um, who's included, who's not included? But what actually do you mean by this term Christian? Well, certainly, even how is the word evangelical uh, defined? And we live in a success culture, don't we? We want to spin the figures in our favor. And most charts like this would use uh, the term of people who would self-identify as Christians. They may not be Christians in the way that we would understand it, but they've self-identified in some way. Um, we showed a video, I was very naughty, I showed a video in our church, very similar church to yourselves, we come, from a, we come from a brethren background. It was actually of a Coptic church in Egypt that had been bombed. And their response to the bombing of love and in Christ, and I challenged the church. I don't know what personal faith these people had, were they just cultural Coptics? But what I do know is, when the push came to shove, they wanted to stand for Christ. And they wanted to demonstrate the love of Christ. So, this is a sort of world map, if you were to redo the world, um, based on um, sort of so self-defining as Christians, which is what the Center for the Study of Global Christianity uses. So, Maybe about 2.1 billion people in our world self-identify as Christians in some way. At a population of, what, just over 7 billion. So getting on for a third. Um, in the last 100 years, the church has been global like never before, as I shared this morning. And what about the evangelical church? There's been some surveys of evangelical churches uh, or those who would self-define as evangelicals. And Peter Briley did some very good work on this, and this was his sort of picture of the changes of where change 
has happened. And actually, the fantastic growth in Asia, but actually from a very low start. And Africa, inverted commas, I shared it this morning. The success story, well, maybe 10 million people back in 1900 would have self-identified as Christians. By 2000, maybe 45% of the population of that continent would have self-identified as Christians. 2% a year, annually, wow. A doubling in less than 30 years. Wouldn't it be great if that happened in our continent? Philip Jenkins says this, that quantitatively, this may be the largest shift in religious affiliation that has ever occurred in human history. Wow. But he also says this, maybe that by 2020, Christianity with current trends will be Africa's religion and no longer Europe's religion. So perhaps we sometimes look at the world the wrong way around. We look at it, don't we, from a very Western-centric point of view. Maybe we need sometimes to look at it through protective, corrective glasses. So a challenge to us. Praise God, people from nearly every tongue, tribe, nation are represented in heaven now. I hope that makes our hearts sing. But have we noticed it? Are we realizing that change? How is the church in the UK and around the world adjusting to this shift? Because I'm not sure sometimes if we, <clears throat> we are. So that's our first challenge to you as a congregation. As you think about your mission and how you're involved in mission both locally, nationally, across our great islands, across our great continent, and across our incredible world. The second theme, though, is though a renewed church. And one of the incredible things that has this change has happened, that actually evangelicals and Pentecostals throughout the whole world now represent a far larger segment of global Christianity than ever before. The churches that have seen the most dramatic progress in the global south tend to, well, either be actually conservative Catholic... Uh, some of those have been growing, evangelical or particularly Pentecostals. And actually, those newer churches, they preach a deep personal faith, a communal orthodoxy, gifts of the Spirit, and a return to clear spiritual authority in ways that we in the West seem to have abandoned sometimes. Of the last hundred years, maybe, up to 200 million people are self-defining as charismatics or Pentecostals throughout our world. 600 million. Wow. Steve Addison highlights five characteristics of this type of Christianity. White-hoff faith, a commitment to a cause, a contagious relationship, a rapid mobilization, and an adaptive methods. 
And I think if you look at much of the church in Africa, that is true. There's just something about them that's infectious. And maybe for some of us, they can appear sometimes a bit hyper-charismatic, even a bit apocalyptic, never can say that. But actually, a prophecy is an everyday reality. Healing is an everyday reality. Exorcism is an everyday reality. Dreams and visions are all fundamental parts of their religious sensibility. They do not have the divide of between the spiritual and the secular that I have, that I was brought up with. Of course, there are many excesses, many struggle with issues, the prosperity gospel just being one of them. But I find in general there's a huge contrast between the marked spiritual poverty of us in the West and what I see in much of the rest of the world. One of my friends became a Christian uh, in Bangkok. He's Thai. His name's Vibun. He'd had the gospel shared by one or two people to him. And he went to bed at night. And during the night, he dreamt of this man with holes in his hands standing at the bottom of his bed and saying, Vibun, I love you, come to me. And he woke up in the morning and he thought, that was just a dream. And his sister came to him at the breakfast table as they were with their rice or whatever they were having. And she said, why do you have a visitor in the middle of the night? Who was that man that was shining bright in your room? This is the sister when he was having a vision and dream. I come from a brethren background. I can't cope with that. That is not my background or my spirituality. And yet God is doing something in our world that is truly and utterly amazing. And yet one of the things I hear in the West is all this growth. Well, they're a mile wide and they're an inch deep. Perhaps I'm wrong and perhaps I'm being cynical. Perhaps it's being better than an inch wide and an inch deep like us. Too harsh? But we seem to have developed a soft discipleship. Matthew 7 and 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, whoops, the screen's gone. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples was what Jesus commanded us to do. And do we dare to be out of the wall, slightly potty disciples? Like Razor. I hope Razor's story this morning, that video that I showed, warmed your hearts. But would you waste your time for a month writing the Gospel of John down just to leave it on someone's doorstep? Was she nuts? No, she wasn't. She had a passion and a heartbeat, and that's why so many people in Iran 
are coming to faith. They'll stand up in their country where persecution is rife. So I've got a challenge again for me uh, and for the Western Church and for us all. How will we as the Western Church trapped in our secularism and our modernity respond to this incredible shift? Well, I think we need to do so. So I talked a little bit about, I hope I'm not, um, what's the word, being off the rails here and doing something completely different. I hope that this is okay. Um, I hope it's challenging you, but I hope it's also inspiring you. Um, But actually, is there growth? We talked, didn't we, about the incredible growth of the global church. But actually, if you look in terms of proportions, the world in 1990 was about one-third Christian, inverted commas, i.e. those who self-defined as Christians. It's actually still the same percentage today. There's been no growth, guys. There's been transfer. And most of my experience in churches is that churches grow by transfer in our country. Certainly my own church grows, and we've grown, and we've grown by transfer. All the people moving into the area. We're a nice, middle-class, affluent area, and they all move in. Really see people coming to faith in my church? Are we successful because we've got big? I long to see people come to faith. I long that I might have many baptisms in our church as my friends in Nepal have, as I shared this morning. So maybe there's been no change. 585, I don't know how they get these figures. But I'm a mathematician, so I'd have said 500 million because that's the closest you can get that's a round number. Um, but about 34% back then. Today, maybe, well, this is a couple of years ago, these statistics, when they were last done, about 31%. Have we just shifted from the West to the global South? And if you actually look at some, this is across the different um, places different continents of people who would have self-defined as Christians. Look at Asia. That's where the growth has been, but actually the proportions are still so, so small. And of course, it's the largest continent by far, isn't it? As I said before, too much mission, as I said it this morning, focuses on other Christians. What about those who've never had the chance to hear of Christ? Several years ago, well, 45th of the first uh, Lausanne uh, Convention in 1974, the idea of unreached people groups came about. It's been a very helpful concept. Because the whole point of it was to actually help people really identify those who've never, ever had the chance to hear the gospel. I think probably now it concentrates too much on ethnicity and on ethnic groups. Think about social class. The working class, certainly in England, have disengaged from church. In the southeast of England, certainly, 
Evangelical Christianity is a middle-class religion. Huge Hindu populations, especially, again, the middle class. The Buddhist populations of Asia, many not knowing a Christian. There are more people alive today that do not know of Christ or experienced Christian care or even met a Christian than ever before. Something needs to change, guys. The task is not, inverted commas, finished because we now have a global church. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So, is ensuring actually that serving these hard places where you're not going to see fantastic growth, working in Japan is jolly hard. I'm so pleased you support a couple there. It's jolly hard. But is it a key part of our church's strategy across the world? I need to move on, and I'll move to my fourth point, um, which is this. The world has changed in terms of the church, but has it changed in terms of its power base? Another picture from World Vision trying to illustrate uh, the world. An unequal church. I don't see a change there coming fast. Yes, India's changing, isn't it? Becoming a powerhouse. Um, most of our church is populated now by people who work for Jaguar Land Rover, owned by Tata from India. Chinese are on the move. Maybe that's the reason that Zimbabwe now has got rid of Mugabe at last. But it's still an unequal church. The blue colors here on this map, an unequal world, and therefore an unequal church. The blue colors are the much more affluent countries, then you can just see the changes of the incredible changes. And so the numbers may now be in the global south, but the money and power is still with us. And how are we going to respond to this? Maybe we make up 65, sorry, the global south makes up 65% of all Christians but their income is only 17% of all Christians. As I look at Christian mission, actually more Christians worldwide speak Spanish than they speak English as a first language. So how will the English-speaking church engage with the vast majority of worldwide Christians from English is foreign and in many ways unnecessary. We sent a small team, as I said this morning, to Nepal. We didn't ask them to speak Nepali, to go there. We expected the church to provide a translator. We're thinking about a small team coming from Nepal to us to help us. And the first question that was said, they don't speak English. And I said, hallelujah! Most of the church in the world doesn't. Let's bring in a translator so they can communicate with us. And it was as if the idea was foreign. 
I headed up the committee in the UK that selected all the people to go to Cape Town in 2010. Fantastic conference, Gordon was there. Wonderful, wonderful. But one thing, there was one thing wrong with it. Everything was in English. And I had to listen to a Turkish pastor try and speak in English. And I was ashamed. I don't think I've ever been so ashamed. I cried in my chair. What were we doing as a Western church enforcing our language on others? They could have translated him. It just would have taken a bit more time because they were doing simultaneous translations into seven or eight languages. They tried really hard. They got that wrong, I think. One of my dear friends is an AIM representative. Uh, he used to be working for AIM in the south uh, east of England. He's now working a bit across Europe. Uh, Kenyan Finnish, um, son of a, a missionary um, from Finland who married a Kenyan. Um, and he said this, we can only make progress in the global church through honest dialogue and careful discernment. We must remain committed to the teachings of Scripture that affirm that, the, that, that those who are in Christ Jesus have received the spirit of sonship and are members together of one body and share us together in the promise of Christ. There is a need for the West to understand the need for change to be Christ-like rather than Western-like. Now, this is a man who's half Western, Finnish mum, but maybe that book says it all, why the West rules. Well, for now, the patterns of history. I led a consultation at a church in Guildford in 2014, and I asked a man called Phil Simpson, who used to work for CMS, to speak. And he was talking about the English, so I can say this, as I'm an Englishman. You might not notice from my accent. Uh, for me, the issue that we need to tackle is our inherent national pride. God is British, or actually for me is English, as an English male, Englishman. And decolonizing our mission, shifting to taking more of a lead from the global south, especially the diaspora in our midst, including their voice in what we plan and we do. The Cape Town 2010 conference was a hundred years on from another conference that had happened in Edinburgh in 1910. I did quite a lot of research um, uh, on the Edinburgh uh, conference. I had to write some papers for, there was one in Edinburgh as well in 2010. I had to write some papers for. And that conference had 1,200 men, there were no women. Um, they were all European, except for, I think, 10. There was one Indian, a man called V.S. Azariah. And I think his quote has been the thing that's challenged me more than anything else in my life. 
Through all the ages to come, the Indian church will rise up in gratitude to assess the heroism and self-denying labors of the missionary body. You've got to remember the missionary body, when they went overseas, they took their coffins with them in the 19th century. You've given your goods to feed the poor. You've given your bodies to be burnt. But we also ask for love. Give us friends. That was an appeal in 1910. I think it's the appeal of today. So the challenge again for me, these are challenges to me. I live with this. I try and change my life to base on this. Does the West actually understand my need to be Christless. So much of what I am as a Christian is because I am Western, not because I'm Christian. And my thought patterns. I need to be Christ-like. We're going to sing a song at the end. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. And that's my heartbeat. I pray it will be the heartbeat for us all. The last three points are much quicker, you'll be pleased to know. But new models of mission are needed in our world today. Actually, the global south is doing mission in a new way. One of the most despicable regimes in our world is Saudi Arabia. Um, we're in bed with them as a country. Um, we voted... In fact, we were the ones who nominated them to chair the Human Rights Commission for the UN. Are we nuts? Yes. Why? Lots of money and oil in it. Sorry. I um, hope that my political views were not coming out there too strong. Uh, that was not a political party broadcast. Um, it was actually the Labour Party that did that, and the Conservative parties are still very much behind it. Um, so it's not party political, uh, although we have different parties, don't I? Sorry. Um, um, the Filipino church trains many of its people to go to Saudi Arabia and the Middle East as mates, as builders. In Saudi Arabia, there are 300 Filipino churches meeting today. Very hard for them if they start sharing, they're in trouble. But wow, it's all about creative access. <laughs> that is creative access. The Church of Christ in Nigeria has changed its name to the Church of Christ of Nations. In its Bible college, it now teaches French. To all its, in its schools, sorry, it now teaches French to all its children. Why? In the hope that some of them, when they graduate, might be able to go as mission partners to Senegal and all the other French-speaking countries around Nigeria. Wow. That's pretty exciting. We can learn so much. So, new models of mission. Well... I've not said enough about the first one. Please don't leave it to the professionals, to those who work for the agencies, who've gone, those who've gone full-time and have, they've gone to make disciples. 
I think we've left mission too much to professionals and agencies. It needs to be the heartbeat of the church. The world will not be reached. I'm sorry if you work for a Christian agency. I did for 25 years, well, probably 38 years. The world will not be reached by traditional faith missions based from the West. We're part of it. Let's keep doing it. Let's find our place within it. It's really important. But actually, we need to somehow engage with these new mission movements. The Chinese moving into Asia, in, sorry, into Africa. The huge numbers of Muslims and Hindus who've come to our country. Women are still the most effective gospel agents. If I think of my wife and myself, how many people I share my faith with, how many people my wife shares my faith with through the toddler groups that she runs. She's back into toddlers because we're grandparents now. So she's back for a second round of meeting all these families that are so open. When it comes to my turn, who can I invite to the Christmas so-and-so? Who can I can go out with and share faith with, and, or share just a meal with, and share a drink with, and get to know. I'm struggling on the fingers of one my hand. She's got so many, she doesn't know what to do with them all. But will the global south repeat our mistakes and actually professionalize? Korea, incredibly, now has over 20,000 missionaries in the world. Brazil, I can't remember what their numbers are, 15,000 or so. Countries like Guatemala now, wanting to send people overseas. India, largest mission movement in the world, sending all the different states uh, of India. Nigeria, large sending nations. Redeemed Church of Christ, wanting to plant 500 churches in Europe in the next 10 years. No, somehow we need to, to allow the church to resume its sit. We need to find, as a British church, new ways. We have one of our elders in our church. He works for a baking company. And his job is to travel the globe, selling their frozen stuff. They make these frozen dough that you get into, you know, they sell it to Asda and then you put it in the, and they call it freshly baked. Um, he sells all of that throughout the world. We rarely pray for him as a church. He's our best missionary. The number of opportunities he has, the number of professionals, the opportunities that the internet provides to us. I can't stand the internet. I hate it. But somehow now I can't live without this wretched thing. The chance I get to talk to people, share with people in new ways. We need to find new ways. And as I mentioned, the Filipinos in Saudi Arabia just serving as mates. And often they come from less economically developed countries so they don't bring power. English isn't necessary, their mother tongue. They come without any backdrop of political global dominance. They actually enter into ministry with a just the willingness to live by faith rather than have guaranteed salaries. 
So from the rest now to everyone, I think our challenge is how do we identify these movements? How do we link with them? Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. I wish that was a scripture. I really do. But one that is. I've become all things to all people, so that by any possible means I might save some, as Paul said. So how can the West work alongside these incredible things that are happening in our world. So I'm taking longer than I'm supposed to have done. I'm very sorry. It's quarter past. We need to be heading to a close, I think. But I want to say two more things uh, very quickly, if I may. One of my jobs is I work with charities in the West, and the numbers that seem to be created every day are amazing. There's more now to work with than ever before. I'm never going to be out of business. Um, they're often funding relationships with local churches and NGOs. I wonder why so many of us exist. And the same happens in the church. There's 41,000 denominations in our world. And, well, that was 2000 in the year 2000. It's predicted by 2020 there'll be 54,000 denominations. I'm actually passionate about somehow us working together, us pushing down our walls. Um, Munyang Lee says this, Christianity has become so divided, existing in a fragmented world, churches fail to show a united front. There are so many divisions within Christianity that it's an intriguing task to clarify what a Christian identity is. At the beginning of Christian history, the designation of a person as a Christian was sufficient to tell you about his social, religious, and cultural identity. Today, we have to supply subcategories to everything of what we are as Christians. We have so many different and conflicting forms of church life. Now, I don't think the nominations are a bad thing, but I think the fragmentation that they can sometimes bring can be. Jesus prayed, didn't he? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Why? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me. So I love them even as you have loved me. We've almost made a religion of our division. I won't associate with him because he associates with him. And I certainly won't if it's a her. We've made it an art form. I wonder what God's heart is towards his church. So how do we witness in a church badly in need of Christ in a more unified way? And the last one, the last shift in our world is one that we're becoming very familiar with, that of migration. The number of people on the move in our world. Every day you turn on the media and there seems to be another movement crisis. I hope we're not going to get another one with Brexit. But it's actually the church too that is on the move. 
But one of the biggest moves is the move into cities. The incredible rise of the city. Now, Belfast is a city, but it's not really a city. It's a little place. What's your population? I don't know. 300,000? Half a million? You wouldn't even meet the top, I don't know, 50 in India. We're talking of cities of 30 million today. Incredible. London doesn't even mention in the first 20 now. It is incredible how our world has changed. And city life is very different to country life, even a city of half a million. It took the UK 120 years for most people to live in a city. It took the USA 80 years. China has gone from 20 to 40% in 22 years. The pace of this is incredible. And when I look at most mission websites, what do I find? A rural scene helping in agriculture. Really important, not denying it. Fantastic if you can do that. But every single one of them, I looked at 36 mission websites. 35 of them had rural scenes, but people live in cities. Do we understand this incredible shift? Do we actually understand the number of people who are single living on their own now in society? So it's a moving church. Do we understand this urban shift, especially in Asia? Are our mission priorities and strategies based around rural and people groups still important? Please, I'm not decrying that. But actually, are we shifting? People are more scattered than ever before, giving great opportunity. Jeremiah says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If the church prospers in cities, it will prosper in our world. Are we prepared to find new ways of engaging in this new dynamic of migration and urbanization? So, to finish, and I'm sorry to have rabbited on in my English accent for too long. Um, globalization has an incredible effect on Christians because we are a global faith. We are the truly global faith of the world. What place do we have today? We still have a place. A lot of people saying, oh no, just do local stuff now. Rubbish. We have an incredible place, but it's in a different way. How can we engage rather than from the west to the rest, but replace it by a worldwide we. And together with the global church, we can be a new community to plagiarize Mao Zedong, but actually it's a mission thinker called Andrew Walls. A hundred places learning from each other with not one single center or single type of mission activity. May the Lord bless you here in all that you do. I know that's rather different maybe what you were expecting from a sermon. 
but I hope it's stretched you, encouraged you, and challenged you as we think forward to how the church in our land can be relevant today. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just gobsmacked by the incredible things going on in your world, the numbers who've come to faith from so many different countries around the world. We give you praise. We give you glory. We send a, a hearty thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the numbers from the West who've gone out, laboring often for years with little fruit, and then suddenly, Lord, you've brought that fruit. We thank you for them. Lord, I thank you for this church and its commitment to global mission. Lord, thank you for it, for that heartbeat that runs here. Lord, I pray for each of us that we might be relevant in today's world. Thank you, Lord, that we can partner with people in new ways. Help us to find those ways. Help us to find your heartbeat. Lord, and if it's partnering with, well, even some of the extreme Pentecostals, Lord, help me to cope with that, because you know I struggle. Lord, if it's partnering, maybe with people who don't quite have my theology, help me to do that, Lord, because I want to see your name glorified in this world. Lord, maybe show a spirit of unity in a way the world does not understand, the world might know that you are the King of all. Amen. Thank you.